Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, I've got a great one planned for you this week. I've got two guests that are going to be joining me. Ones that you're quite familiar with, Greg Bennell from BNN. He's going to be joining me shortly here in the studio. And we're going to have a great conversation about uh, how the year is starting off. And a little bit later on in the hour, I'm going to have John Carlos Silfidis. He is from Build. We've had him on several times on the show in the past, and uh, we're going to be talking about renovations. Is 2018 the year for people to renovate their properties? Well, we'll know more when we're finished with John Carlos, so make sure you stay tuned for the entire show. I've got lots to talk to you today about. But before I get there, um, I uh, I want to start off by saying thank you to uh, a group of our listeners. They were kind enough to email me or reach out by phone, uh, wishing me well with my hip, by the way. I am getting through it. It uh, feels like any day I'll start to run. And um, other than that, uh, when, when somebody did actually reach out to me, uh, they had an interesting question. And I thought today would be a great day for us to have this conversation. And it's about brand new construction and how a lot of realtors are out there running around trying to get people to buy brand new condos and how they're saying, oh, you know, it's a great idea. You know, they're going to go up in value. They're going to go up in value. Um, But in the meantime, if you are using this as an investment property, what do the numbers truly mean? And so, I just thought I'd break down a couple of things for you. Uh, right now, we're finding that condominiums, you know, they're pretty much north of $800 a square foot. So if you're buying something, you know, a little bit bigger than five or in around 600 square feet, you're almost at 500000 And then we have to add the things that matter. And I know a lot of people that uh, when they see builder releases, you hear this magical number that builders will talk about condominium fees. And the condominium fees, by the way, uh, are kind of artificially low for the first couple of years. And this is where I want to have people exercise caution. When we take a look at condominium fees at around $250 out of the gate, uh, right now, new report that was just released say that condominium fees are up 2.5% year over year. But one of the ones I think that you should be concerned of is that when we're talking about, you know, basically a five to 600 square foot unit, your condominium fees are averaging almost 400 Add your parking space and your locker. And by the way, folks, you do pay condominium fees on your parking space and your locker. And those are individual fees. They'll roll it all in. You're you're north of $450 per month on pretty much an average condominium just under 600 square feet today. And if we're looking at that and you've got these artificially low numbers of 250, listen, they don't last. Condominium fees do go up. And even though we hear 2.5%, normally out of the gate within the first couple of years, they jump substantially. And so if we take a look at that number at $450 per month, throw in your property taxes, all of a sudden we still have to start look, taking a hard look at your cash flow. Right now, $500,000 if you're going to be buying a property, minimum 20% down, let's say. You also are going to have to endure the new stress test. $400,000 mortgage. Don't forget you had closing costs. Right now, if we're looking at kind of an average of about $500 per $100,000, there we go. We're at $2,000 for that mortgage payment. Throw in your condominium fee and your property taxes and you got $2,700 to carry this thing per month and you're getting 2000 
All right. So your negative cash flow is $700 per month. Are you an investor or speculator? And you know, you'll hear me talk about this all the time here at Simply Real Estate. You'll hear me talk about it as the simple investor. You'll hear me talk about it at my seminars. Um, and one of the things, you know, people have to realize is that, you know, properties can go up. Yeah, we know condominiums are doing exceptionally well, but the big increase that we've seen is more for brand new, not necessarily for the resale quite as aggressively. So how long can you maintain losing that $8,000 per year before you get sick and tired of it and you want to cash out? So keep these things in mind, please, when taking a look at condominiums, especially the brand new ones. You know, sometimes I think it's better to buy something that's maybe three or four years old. You know what, you've seen the uh, you've seen the prices go up, but at the same time, what you'll do is you'll know where the condominium is actually sitting. Now, speaking of condominiums, uh, a couple of things in the news this past week, people were talking about salt and how how bad Canadians are getting affected by salt. And I'm not talking about your heart or your blood pressure. I'm referring to the roads. Your cars are getting beaten up with it. But most importantly, the roads themselves, a lot of infrastructure, you know what happens? It seeps through the concrete, gets into what they call the rebar, the support of the cement, and starts rotting it out. And soon you'll hear the provinces spending billions of dollars to rebuild all sorts of bridges. I mean, you know, the gardener comes to mind, it falls apart of course but you know what if we didn't have salt guarantee you the gardener would be in much better shape but the reason why I bring this up after the conversation of condominiums is this one of the things that I've always focused on is I do not like underground parking and currently throughout the GTA and I would say kind of the greater Ontario area people that have underground parking in condominiums are facing this huge huge I would say nightmare in the closet of the condominium if they have underground parking because what ends up happening is all the salt that you bring in on your car for that underground parking and it starts to, you know, the ice melts away, the salt then runs, goes through the cracks of the cement, gets to the rebar. Right now we are hearing condominiums with special assessments being somewhere around 500 to a million to 2 million to 3 million to rebuild underground parking. And you know what? When you own the condominium, you are going to be partially responsible for this debt. Um, again, some of my listeners, you know, they've been telling me, hey, Todd, we just got a $30,000 special assessment on their unit because of underground parking. I just want to give everybody the heads up because, you know what, all this stuff that's being built in Toronto, um, uh, if, if again, you have the underground parking, you go underneath, uh, eventually, this is going to create a problem. There's nobody that's been able to turn around and stop this from happening. It's just going to happen naturally. Concrete will always heave, crack. Eventually, you are going to have a problem. It could maybe not not be for the next 10, 20 years. But you know, by year 30, a lot of times these, uh, these underground parking have to be rebuilt. So again, one of those concerns. Another thing that's going to be a big topic for a lot of you people that have kids going off to university, perhaps into second year, and I thought I'd bring this up, um, is the fact that student rentals. Right now, this is the hottest month over the next three months of people securing a rental property for their kids going to university and keeping in mind that you are going to be expected to be a guarantor on the lease. Yep, normally a university student is the person on the lease, but the parents are the guarantors. Keep this in mind when you're out looking at universities. And uh, again, what you will end up doing is paying for the entire year. Most leases at uh, when you're talking about student rentals, they run from May 1st to April 30th. 
there is no break. You must pay even if your uh, your son or daughter are not at university throughout the summer, but you still have to secure a year lease. Now, one other point that I want everybody to understand is normally management companies, and there are some great management companies out there, they will insist no, knowing by January if you're going to renew the lease. And it's not a simple rollover like what we typically do when you do rental properties. You actually have to sign a brand new lease. One of the main reasons for this, if you're a landlord of student rentals, is the fact that you want to make sure that they are going to be there for the entire year. And when you sign a one-year lease as a tenant, you can't break it within that year without getting penalized, meaning you have to pay the whole thing. But if you do the natural progression of a lease and you sign a one-year lease, if you're just kind of like a normal tenant, it can roll over month to month. And all you have to do is provide 60 days notice and you can leave the property. So at month 15, you decide you don't want to be there anymore. No problem. Two months notice and you're out. So this is why the student rentals are set up differently. I just wanted to give everybody the heads up on this because I've started to see a little bit more of this. And I I wanted to make sure everybody understands what they're getting themselves into. Um, if you don't, you can always reach out to me, by the way. You can reach me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at thesimpleinvestor.com. Um, you know what? I'm going to start working towards every week answering a few questions, if possible, if people do email me, if they have a question uh, regarding real estate in any facet, and uh, happy to answer it. But you know what? Always a person that I love to ask questions about real estate would be Mr. Greg Bennell, and he is from BNN. So welcome to the show, Greg. Ah, always a pleasure to be here. You know, uh, I got to tell you, like I said, I, every time you and I talk, love the conversation we have again, you know, another week in the world of real estate and finance, lots of stuff going in. I, th I, I think we're kind of going to settle into the new year now, you know, lots of, lots of new things that are having an effect and recent uh, report says, uh, and, and it's funny now, it's now mid-month report before it was daily, but mid-month report reveals January off to a slow start in the real estate world. What do you think? Yeah, not really a big surprise. I mean, this hasn't been the greatest weather in large parts of Canada to go out and look at open houses. But at the same time, we were told because of the new stress test that all this activity was going to get pulled forward. And, and, and now when I talk to people in the business and yeah, October, November, December, we definitely handled clients who like closed deals who said, I got to get in before the stress test. I want to buy some property. So it only makes sense that if people who are sitting on the fence and uh, jumped into the market before January 1st. But now, I mean, you might have a small catalyst at the same time. And this is always the weird thing that at first you think about it doesn't make sense. Rising interest rates, so people rush into the market. Wait a minute, borrowing just got more expensive. But if some people take that as the cue that, you know what, the cheap money party has been going on for a very, very long time. We're getting clear cues from both the bond market and the central banks that money is not going to be as cheap as it once was. That You might find a few more people come out of the woodwork and say, well, if I wait six months, if I wait a year, I'm probably not going to get the interest rate at least I can get now, so I might want to get in. But when you talk to people in the market, it hasn't been a disaster so far in January, but it's definitely not a hot, hot, hot out there. But you know what? I'm in the camp of the people that when it gets this cold, I just sort of bar the doors and I'm like, open house? No, I don't think so. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, um, I, I've got lots I want to talk to you about, and we're going to go to a quick break. But when we come back, um, you know, definitely, I want to I want to delve into a little bit of the condominium market, 
little bit about interest rates and, of course, what our dear Prime Minister is doing for us, hopefully, in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Greg, stay put, uh, everyone. I've got Mr. Greg Bedell from BNN. He is the uh, host of House Money. Make sure you stay with us because we've got more right after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in right now, my guest is Mr. Greg Bennell from BNN. He is the uh, host of House Money. And hey, listen, Greg, just before, you know, we were talking about the market uh, is, you know, a little bit quieter, kind of expected it, you know, whether January, you know, maybe we're back to a little bit more normalcy in the market. Um, you know, as, as, as you had said, you know, nobody wants to go out on an open house when it's freezing cold or pouring rain. Exactly. My wife doesn't stop her from being on the on the websites and showing me every single house that there is for sale anywhere in our neighborhood. And I'm like, I'm so glad we already have a house. To be clear, I'm not planning on going anywhere, but you know, life can move in different directions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just depends what your wife would like. So. Exactly. <laughs> Alrighty. So, um, Greg, uh, right now we're we're obviously you know we've we've settled into the, the new norm of interest rates. Um, do you uh, do you kind of forecast that we're going to see another interest rate hike come March when the Bank of Canada meets again? I think we're probably going to get at least another one from them this year, whether they want to move again that quickly. They they did come out and say, you know, we're basing this 25 basis point hike on the fact that we saw all this strength in 2017, but they have to look forward. And a lot of people said, yeah, you better look forward because we have NAFTA, right? What's going to happen there with the talks? And it's, I think right now for all the discussions we have at BNN, and we have a lot of them about NAFTA and how the talks are going and where they might end up, the wild card is always Donald Trump. You don't know. One day it seems like he's saying nice things about the trade pack. We can make it work. The next day he says, this is the worst deal ever. I'm going to tear it up. It is his style. I mean, you, you throw everything into confusion and then that puts the person on the other side of the table, which, you know, in this case is us in Mexico in a bit of a state of disarray. What's he going to do next? Is he going to this way or that way? So until we can sort of get past that overhang, and Bank of Canada doesn't really know what to do with that. If the trade deal falls apart, what does it mean for the economy? How do things slow down? What it means for jobs? So many questions. So when they look at the cost of borrowing, they have to sort of take that into consideration. If we do get a NAFTA deal and the economy keeps performing the way it is, I can't see how the Bank of Canada justifies staying where it is. And that really, that just sort of like doesn't give us a lot of clarity. And the markets want some clarity. We hate not knowing what's going on. And we hate as, as home buyers and potential borrowers of money, not knowing what the cost of money is going to be. All things being equal, if we can get to this NAFTA thing, I think you can safely say that the uh, ultra cheap money party is over. But at the same time, I don't think we're going to be racing higher anytime soon to interest rate levels that people haven't seen. Well, some people, particularly young people in the housing market, they don't know what housing uh, mortgage rates can look like. You know, I only had a little taste of it as a kid. Listen to my parents talk about 17, 18% around the dining room table. I think the first place I bought I was about 5.7. That would probably even uh, turn the hair white on some millennials out there, a 5.7% interest rate. Yeah, I think I, I definitely think that uh, anything north of four is going to start making everybody, you know, start shaking at their knees a little. Um, you know, it's interesting because um, our, our dear prime minister was in Switzerland this past week, you know, at the uh, World Economic Forum. And of course, you know, I don't know if he's poking the bear with the U.S. You know, he's he's obviously trying to, you know, you know use some kind of leverage for the NAFTA talks. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, we just don't know what's going to happen to our economy. But, you know, it's interesting because a lot of a lot of economists are still saying, uh, you know, with the new with the new stress test, 
on top of that with the interest rate hikes, this is probably going to slow the market down a fair bit when it comes down to real estate, even though we've got a few predictions out of some of the major corporations saying that we're going to see an upswing year over year on prices. Um, do you not think that we've got a big mountain we have to climb through February, March, and April right now to even get it to close to what we uh, what we experienced last year? Oh, I I would hope almost that we don't see what we saw last year, particularly in the Toronto market when it came to the that April frenzy when everyone just said, I have to have property and prices were up 30% year over year. I mean, just by the pure math, and uh, I've actually talked to a few people, and they called me out a little bit because, of course, I am a member of the media saying, we know you guys, when you get to April, we're going to get this year over year report, and even though prices have settled out over the past couple of months, they are on average, across the board, going to be down 20% yeah. year over year. I mean, that's just the simple math. We're, we're not above 900000 anymore when it comes to the average price of a Toronto home. We're going to be down about 20%. And that, it then is said, could feed into this equation where people say, wait a minute, the market's down 20%. Well, I don't want to buy in this market. Because a lot of this, when you look at all the policy levers that have been pulled and here and there, and people argue about numbers, what percentage is foreign investment, what percentage is the domestic investor, in the end, I, I do believe from that idea that it's the psychology. When a move is made and you're unsure what it's going to mean for the market, you don't want to be the last fool in. You, you step back and you say, I want to see how this shakes out. So those headlines a couple months from now, if prices just hold steady and don't go anywhere, market down 20%, that's probably going to have an effect too. Yeah, I, I and, and, and I agree with you 100%. I actually think that, you know, it could even be a little bit might be a little bit worse, you know. Um, when we when we took a look at the the big drop that we started feeling come October, November, you know, we saw the uptick about five point eight percent in December. But when we saw the you know the big drop from April to October, you know, people were t- playing around with that seventeen eighteen percent. You know, my my concern is now that we've got the new stress test, another bump in interest rates. You know, I I am only predicting from year over year. You know, if you're if we talk April, you know, we could be up to twenty five percent, and and it still doesn't mean that if you bought you know two years ago, you've lost all your equity. The truth is, is that everybody uh, those people are still ahead. It's just how do you measure it? And one of the things that you know we obviously don't want people to do is panic because as much as this market may look like it's receding a little come the spring, we could easily see it start to balance out as we saw in Vancouver. I think you bring up an excellent point where people see a headline that is a very broad headline because I mean that's you're just trying to find the broader trend. If the broader headline in April is prices are down in the great GTA by 25%, you got to take a breath for a second and say, well, who am I? When did I buy? If, if I've not bought already, then you know what? The market has come to some sort of a level of sense and sanity and maybe that's not such a bad thing for me. And like you said, if you were in the market two years ago, five years ago, I've been in the house I'm in right now 10 years ago. I don't need to be alarmed by this headline. As we said in the beginning, I don't plan on going anywhere. I'm in this, I'm in this, been in this house for 10 years. I don't plan on going anywhere until it's time, to, you know, to, to send grandpa. I'm not a grandpa yet, but when it's time to send grandpa to a home, you know, that that's the way I see this playing out. So really that headline could be alarming on the surface, but then you ask yourself, who am I? What's my financial situation? What do I want? How long have I been in the market? And then you might actually say, wait a minute, this doesn't really doesn't have that big, much of a bearing on me at all. Yeah. Excellent. Listen, Greg, it's always great to have you on. Just out of curiosity, our listeners can catch your show when? Uh, It's 5 p.m. Eastern time on uh, Tuesdays. How's money? 
excellent. Um, like I said, always a pleasure. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll stay in touch, and we'll uh, we'll keep a you know a watchful eye on the market. Always great to be here. Excellent. Thanks. Folks, that was Mr. Greg Bennell from BNN. Remember, make sure you catch his show on BNN called House Money. It's a great show. Greg's got some uh, excellent information. Always a good watch. Um, as I mentioned earlier, before uh, when we come back, we've got Giancarlo Sofitas. He is from Build. We're going to be talking about renovations. What does 2018 look like for the building industry here in the GTA and Ontario? So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Uh, if you're just tuning in, my guest right now is going to be Mr. John Carlos Sofitas. But before I bring in John Carlo, uh, I thought I'd just say thanks once again to Greg Vanell. He is always a pleasure to have on. Great information. And don't forget to catch his show, House Money, on BNN Tuesdays at 5.30. But now, uh, no stranger to the show and always a pleasure to have him on. He's from Build. And John Carlo, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Tom. You know, it's interesting because you and I have such great conversations. You know, I'm a, I, I, I'd say I'm a contractor at heart, I think probably because I started doing that about 30 years ago. <laughs> so you are a contractor at heart. You know, and, uh, and you and I always have such great conversations. Um, some stuff in the news recently, though, about Build. Um, you know, they're saying they're uh, committed to bettering the communities uh, through, you know, extra contributions being done, lots going on. Um, you know, it's interesting because 2018, you know, we, we, we believe, and, and I think this is a positive thing. You know, some of the wind has come out of the, the real estate market, but, um, you know, a lot of people are saying this is the year to renovate. Uh, how, you know, when you take a look at the Build Association, maybe you can, you know, bring us up to speed. Like, is this going to be a big year? Uh, we believe it is. You could say that some of the wind has come out of the sales, but that bodes well for the renovation sector. Right, exactly. Right? So when people aren't buying, they're looking at staying in the current house and looking at you know, altering it to suit their lifestyle. So that is always a good thing for renovation. Well, you know, in January, they released the uh, stress test. So it's harder for people now to qualify for some of these mortgages. So the idea that perhaps getting a appraisal done, you know, establishing value, now they've got a credit line. Well, credit lines mean that perhaps they can work with some renovations. And uh, I, I think that's a positive thing, definitely, for the renovation industry. Um, you know, as I was looking at the article. Uh, how many people are actually in this business? Let's talk about employment and the kind of money that, you know, the renovation industry is actually doing because, you know, it's it's massive. And I don't know if our listeners can grasp the, sh the, the just the sheer magnitude of it. And I'm so glad you bring that up, Todd, because the renovation industry is the largest industry in the country. Now, you'd say, really? But because we're so fragmented, we don't have the clout, let's say, of a GM or a Ford, mm -hmm. right? So... We're characterized by lots of small participants in the market, not like the big home builders or, or the larger sectors in the economy. But yeah, we're significant. We contribute, just the renovation sector alone, over $9 billion to the economy of Ontario. Now, that's a good chunk. Wow. You know, it was interesting because um, there was a new stat that just came out, and uh, you've got a new president and CEO. Is that correct? We do. It's uh, a fellow David. by the name of David Wilkes. Yeah. And we expect lots of good things from him. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because they're saying right now that there's more than 197,000 people are employed in the new home construction and renovation repair industry in the GTA alone. That's just Toronto, the That's GTA alone. Unbelievable. And most 
most of those, the majority of that is in the renovation sector as opposed to the new home sector. Wow. I mean, you know, I mean, 200,000, that's the size of some, you know, some of our cities, really, when you look <laughs> at the numbers, you know, you start thinking of Kitchener, Waterloo, Guelph, that area. I mean, you know, that's, that, that's incredible. And, you know, I don't know if people understand and, 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 and you know, I hope our listeners don't misunderstand that comment, but just the sheer magnitude and the volume, you know, you're talking about, you know, $11 billion, you know, to the economy. And yet, one of the hardest things in your industry is the ability to get building permits, the delays for new construction. You know, I've had, uh, I've had all sorts of different professionals on. The biggest complaint of developers right now is that it takes forever, that costs go through the roof by the time they finally are allowed to do something, and yet the government insists on, you know, stagnating, I think, the growth of the industry. Well, and, and this is the most puzzling thing to us. You know, here we are, we stand ready to build homes that people need, to renovate homes that people need, and the government has done most everything it possibly can to make it more difficult to obtain a building permit. They, the timelines for a permit are just unconscionable right now. Just for a simple addition, if you have to go to Committee of Adjustments for a simple addition, you're looking at about 48 weeks for a permit. 48 weeks. Wow. So you tell that to your client who's expecting a second or third child and says, we need the space desperately. Wow. And, and that's a bit. And then the, the second part of that is the fees have gone up tremendously. So let's talk about that because I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know if I've got total clarity on fees right now. And I've heard this. I've heard this as a complaint from a lot of people that the fee structure it keeps escalating, which is only passing it down to the end user being the client. So what, what what's happening with the fees? Well, the fees, I mean, at every step of the way, your fees have gone up substantially. So, for example, if... I'll give you the the city of Toronto just released. The yeah, by all listen, I, I, you you always come well armed. So, and I'm glad you've got the stats. So, give give us a part of your graph here. So, I'll give you a, a small sampling. So, the development fees, the proposed development fees for a single family or semi-detached home, are going from forty thousand and sixty-seven dollars to proposed eighty-eight thousand three hundred ninety-one. So, for an increase of one hundred and twenty-one percent. And then the government has the gall to talk about affordable housing. You know what we should be doing, Todd? For new houses, we should list the cost of the house. Let's say, yes, you could buy this house for $700,000 plus $140,000 in government fees and taxes. That would make it transparent. People need to see how big a factor the government is in the price of housing. Wow. I, you know what? Uh, that blows me away because I did not know the fees were escalating like that. Okay. Slightly more than the rate of inflation, I yeah, would say. You think? <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny because all we hear right now is the fact that, you know, there's not enough housing. And I mean, even, even, the, government, that the, even the government housing is in horrible shape and they're not putting it out to bid to get the contractors to come in and take care of some of these things. I mean, you know, uh, Toronto, Toronto has housing, you know, uh, Ontario housing, this stuff's in rough shape. You're right. So, so make it easier for the industry. And that doesn't mean you sacrifice any kind of social values by making it easier for the industry. I would suggest to you, you're actually helping to achieve social policy aims and objectives by 
making it easier for the industry? Why are we waiting five months for a committee of adjustments hearing? You know, I had a developer on a couple of weeks ago, and he and and last year, I don't know if you remember in the news, there was a bunch of projects that got canceled. So you know, these are condominiums that were going to be built. People ponied up their deposits, and in the end, they shut it down. And what they're actually saying is they're blaming the the city and the government because they're taking so long in getting them even approvals permits that you know the prices are escalating they're giving them delays you know as you said people go to the committee of adjustments sometimes they have to do that multiple times they can't they can't get through the red tape is this going to create even more of an inventory problem here in Ontario? Because, you know, that's the biggest thing. You know, they, they, they want to control a marketplace, but yet they're not willing to help with inventory. And that's your exactly on the mark, Todd. There's a question of supply side. What's happening with the supply of housing? Well, when we're waiting inordinate amount of uh, time periods for permits, it's just going to exacerbate the supply problem. And I think you hit the nail on the head. So between the increases in fees and the increases in timelines for getting basic permits, I still don't know why we wait two to three months for a zoning certificate from the city, which just simply identifies what variances, if any, one will need. So, I mean, these kinds of things are not making it easier and are not bringing new product to the market. Um, a corporation like Build, are they able to, you know, approach the government, try to get them to understand the problem, or is the government just shutting everybody down? Well, to us, it seems like the government is just shutting everybody down and everyone seems to be in election mode. As you know, we have a, both a provincial <laughs> and municipal election this year. So, you know, like what I don't know what more we can do short of scream in the middle of Young Street. We need help here. You know, you can't be the one to make the rules of the game. And then when we point out these rules are not responsive enough to meet the needs of everybody, our consumers, the, uh, you know, the people who elect these politicians. Sure. If you're going to be the ones making the rules, you need to be a little more responsive. And if you can't, then maybe it's time we started thinking about, you know, third-party administration of all these rules. Or perhaps a new government. <laughs> now, of course, we're not going to tell you which government to elect, but we definitely know what the current government's doing. Um, listen, I, uh, I'm going to ask for you to stay put. Um, you know, I want you to come back after the break and talk more. So, folks, stay with me. I've got John Carlo Sofitas with me, uh, professional contractor, part of Build. We're going to talk more about what you can expect in 2018 and uh, some exciting stuff. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. You know, it's amazing. Um, when I have guests come on the show with me, it's such a pleasure, especially because in their field, they are so experienced. And speaking of experience, uh, my guest right now is Mr. John Carlo Sofitas, and uh, he is a professional contractor. Um, and by the way, folks, if you've missed any part of the show, remember, you can go to the Newstalk 1010 website, click on Simply Real Estate, go to the SoundCloud, you can definitely, you know, listen to the show and I don't want anybody ever to miss part of the show because uh, you know these guests they're 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 wonderful and, and John Carlo just before the break um, you and I were actually able to you know get, get a little steam out here talking about the government and how they are so wonderful to the builder developer renovators <laughs> and how the the red tape seems to be getting longer um, is there I mean is there a middle ground? What what should this? I mean, you know, there there there's other provinces, other countries. Why is it that Ontario is probably one of the leaders 
in being the slowest, <laughs> you know, ability to be able to develop properties. I mean, you don't have the same problem in the U.S. You don't have the same problem in even some of the other provinces. No, just just let me give you a, a bit of a contrast here. If you had a company that wanted to set up shop and create jobs here, I'd say you'd have municipal governments almost bending over backwards to accommodate that. So why isn't the uh, the infill housing and renovation sector and the whole, or the entire construction sector treated the same way. Because we build communities, we create jobs, we build communities, and this is what we do. We're, we take a lot of pride in what we do because we live in the places we build. So that's the first point. The second point is, sure, you could say there's been a lot of immigration, a lot of increase in demand, but what strikes me is that the building division is usually a profit center for most cities so if there's all kinds of increased demand why don't they ramp up to accommodate that demand and get these permits out faster because it means more revenue for the city it means a, a broader bigger property tax base it's in everyone's interest to make sure that we get permits out quickly yeah you know one of the things i don't know if you heard this week um uh, toronto uh, was on the top uh, 20 list for Amazon to consider a bid. And of course, everybody jumped on and saying, oh my goodness, if we have 50,000 people turn around and work for Amazon, there'll be no place for them to live. Now, of course, you know, the, the, the marketplace of Amazon would also have something to do with Kitchener-Waterloo-Guelph, you know, part of obviously the GTA. But, you know, interesting point, and yet the government still, even though they want to entertain like a world-class city, they still don't want to take off the handcuffs and allow building permits to flow more readily and encourage the investment of builders coming in, building top quality product, or for that matter, renovating, you know, to a certain standard that allows everybody to benefit. I mean, you know, how can we be a world-class city when our government is sitting there saying, hey, listen, look at us, Amazon's considering us. No, you know what? I, I just, I think they were being polite. Okay, you know, Toronto is a world-class city, but I think that they probably looking at it saying, listen, why would we go to, go to Toronto? We're going to get taxed to death. You know, we can barely get anybody to live anywhere. And again, the city government, provincial government is not doing enough to allow us to have proper growth. And proper growth is a great way to put it, Todd, because we also have to look at the infrastructure in the <laughs> I was city. Just say, yeah. right? You need subways and public transit. But in all that discussion, we forgot about new roads. How about sure. some new roads? Yeah. How about some new freeways? How about helping to move people and traffic and goods and services a lot faster? Because not everyone can take public transportation for what they do. Sure. So there's that. Then you, you got to talk about your sewer and water system. These are the boring, mundane things. But guess what? If your toilet isn't flushing, yep. you have a problem. Well, this is the thing. You know, we, we, we're still on... Um, you know, old facilities, and yet we're going through the roof as far as, you know, building, you know, 60, 80 story buildings. And yet they haven't updated the infrastructure, as you mentioned, at all. And, you know, if they can, if people are allowed to build, they'll build, but still, there's so much that is lacking here in the city. And, I, I think that a lot of people, you know, tr Toronto is the city that they wish 
they could bring a big corporation to. They would love to bring their family here. But it's got so many things that are limiting it. And I would have to say that part of our building process is actually one of them. I uh, I don't disagree. And, and at the end of the day, Todd, I'm a big booster for Toronto. I think this is one of the greatest cities going. But one of the issues we have here is that we don't seem to realize that, yes, we may have three levels of government, but the taxpayer only has one wallet. Most taxpayers <laughs> don't have three wallets. I like that. Right? That's, I There's, think that's a brilliant comment. And, and I think that's the issue. We need better coordination between federal, provincial, and municipal governments. And we can't have municipal governments run amok and making all kinds of arbitrary decisions. You know, and this, this case out in uh, Oakville with Glen Abbey is an interesting one. Yeah. So, I mean, we could talk about that, but yeah, that's so, got all kinds of implications. Yeah, okay, so for, let's, you know, that's a great, a great segue into that because, you know, there was the conversation that um, obviously Club Links, uh, who's the owner of Glen Abbey, uh, had made application. They wanted to, you know, redevelop, you know, one of the, I would say one of the most famed uh, golf courses, sure. you know, in Canada. Uh, Canadian Open has been played there, you know, a ton of times and it's got a lot of, you know, obviously notoriety to it. People know it. But on top of that, you know, there's there's a community that was looking at per potentially, and again, it would create a lot of jobs, uh, a bigger tax base. Um, is it wrong that they've been blocked well, to, to develop or? And, and this is, let's draw a distinction. You know, you could make arguments for and against the heritage value of Glen Abbey. And, but that's not the point. The point is municipalities should not be allowed to make arbitrary decisions using legislation such as the Ontario Heritage Act as a sword rather than a shield. And then you can't, if you're going to do that, you need to give people the right of appeal. No one is, you know, disputing the fact that municipalities and local communities should have a right to say what's in their communities. But it's how you do it. You can't deny, you can't trample property owners' rights to achieve your goals. Everyone needs to have a right of appeal. And the way, the end run that's taken place here by the city of Oakville right. uh, is, is really, it's concerning and disconcerting at the same time. Wow. So yeah, do, you, do you think that this has been stopped dead in its tracks and it's going to remain that way? Or do you think that there's a workaround here? No, I think uh, it's going to get litigated. There's all kinds of, uh, I think, wheels in motion for the courts to have their say. But we need to take a realistic look. You know, if the provincial policy is to intensify and, you know, develop and intensify, and you have municipal government saying no, and that's where the nimbyism kicks in, there seems to be conflicting factors at play here. Sure. So at some point, the provincial government needs to step in and say, well, these are the stated policy goals. Municipalities, you have these powers, but you can't exceed, you know, up to a certain point. Sure. Um, amazing that you said the provincial government should step in. Um, I, I think a lot of times they should step out, but it, no, but to enforce their own policies. Yeah, exactly. Right? No, no, I, I, I agree. It's going to be interesting. I think that um, you know that's that's going to be an interesting thing that's going to happen. Let's let's go back to renovations for a second. Um, what uh, what are you seeing as pretty much the top renovations that are happening now in the marketplace? Because again, we've got those people out there that are saying to themselves, "Hey, listen, maybe I'm going to renovate to sell my property." What are you seeing? seeing as being, I, I guess, the growing trend? The trend, and it's been the trend for a while, is always kitchens and bathrooms. Right. That's uh, for a couple of reasons. Resale being one of them, but, you know, actual use and utility for, for the homeowner. Enjoyment. Sure. Right. Um, 
With this cold winter, we're seeing a little bit more in terms of uh, HVAC and insulation. Um, It's been, I'd say, unseasonably cold, particularly this past December, where you've had a lot of condensation issues in some homes. Right. Now, I I know that the government was turning around and they wanted to um, start mandating an inspection report to talk about people's houses. Are they green enough? Are they, you know, are they at a certain level? Do you think that this is going to get enforced in the future? I think it's coming. I think at some point it's coming and uh, it's going to be part of this uh, movement towards green building and environmentalism and reducing carbon footprints. So I think there's a confluence of factors that would lead me to believe that it's coming. Right. And I think that's going to be very difficult for a lot of people because, you know, you've got your teardowns, you've got your full renos, people turning around saying, you know, we've got to turn around and make a report that says that, you know, the windows need to be replaced and, you know, you bring that out. But most people already know going into it. I mean, look, you you and I experienced, you know, a couple of years ago when we first started chatting, watching houses that, you know, literally bought and knocked down within no time and, you know, brand new ones being built, of course, new construction. But I mean, these places, they did need to have a report to say that the windows were bad. Correct. <laughs> you know, the, 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 we're talking wartime bungalows. I mean, you know, people had lived there for 50 years. You're right. And this speaks to the housing stock in, in the GTA. You know, the time has come for renewal of the housing stock. And the government is trying to induce people to uh, upgrade their homes through energy efficiency grants. Um, but we'll see if that's effective. Because that's, at some point, as you said, people either will not have the money to do this, mm-hmm. or they're going to need to sell and knock the house down and build a new house and and these are the kinds of questions people are going to have to be considering. I think it's going to be a very interesting year and um, you know uh, any any last comments for for our listeners? You know we're always optimistic. I think it's going to be a good year for renovations. I think it's going to be a decent year for the industry as a whole. You may not see the crazy price growth you saw in 2017 but all in all Um, let's be optimistic about this region. It's a great city. People still want to come here. We've got 100,000-plus people moving to the GTA year in, year out. And, again, I think this is one of the greatest cities on the planet. Yeah, I would agree. And always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Pleasure is mine. Thank you, Todd. Folks, that was John Carlos Sofitas. And always a pleasure to have him on. And, uh, again, I want to thank Mr. Greg Bennell from BNN. And, um, you know, most importantly, I want to thank you for tuning in every single week. It's always a pleasure to bring you the show. Now, remember, uh, I gave you my email a little bit earlier, Todd at thesimpleinvestor.com. If you have a question and you want me to uh, maybe have a chat about it on the air. Happy to do it for you. I want to thank Ian Grant, my producer. As always, he keeps it simple. And remember, I am back next week, Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.